This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We each have a quiet center at the core of our being. Living in the world provides a multitude of opportunities to distract us from this. Instead of peace, we experience stress, turmoil, and suffering of all kinds. These experiences are not necessary ones. It is possible to live in the world and transcend suffering. What this requires is understanding and connecting with the enormous power of the mind. The Mind Training Program of A Course in Miracles aims to remove the barriers to accessing the quiet center and beyond that, the limitless love that is our true nature. In her blog, livingfromthequietcenter.com and in her mindfulness coaching work, Christina Sorrentino Schmalisch shares ideas and practices inspired by A Course in Miracles with the goal of promoting the experience of peace and enduring well-being. Valeria Tellez interviews Christina Sorrentino Schmalisch, PhD, MSW. She is a psychotherapist and mindful coach. In her therapy practice, she specializes in treating anxiety and psychological trauma, using frameworks in psychology and neuroscience to help her clients heal and resource their internal world. In her coaching work, she supports her clients in learning to live their lives from their quiet center. Christina received her bachelor's degree in psychology from McGill University, her doctorate in brain and cognitive science from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and her master's in social work from the School of Social Work at Boston University. Before becoming a psychotherapist, she was a researcher in child development in the psychology departments at New York University and Stanford University. While training as a psychotherapist, she also participated in clinical research on the nature and treatment of hoarding disorder. She is the co-author of a book on hoarding and three research and clinical articles on hoarding. Christina was introduced to meditation and to the ancient teachings of Hinduism over 20 years ago through attending yoga classes in the ISHTA tradition. She later meditated with a sangha grounded in the teachings of Tibetan Buddhism with an emphasis on non-judgment and loving awareness. She also studied Imai Qigong and learned to heal strong emotions to better access the calm center. Ten years ago, Christina was introduced by a colleague to Gary Renard's book, The Disappearance of the Universe, which is an entertaining and informative introduction to the book A Course in Miracles. She has been a student of the course ever since. Since March of 2020, she has been writing a blog about personal peace inspired by A Course in Miracles. Meet Christina at livingfromthequietcenter.com. Here's the interview with Christina Sorrentino Schmalisch.
in your own words, who is Cristina Sorrentino Smalish? So I am a healer and I'm not special from anybody else. It's just the way I think about what I do because we're all healing one another all the time. Healing comes from love and love is really what we are at our core. And so when I say that I'm a healer, I'm really just trying to connect with the love that I am as best I can and to connect with the love that's in everybody else, whether it's a chance encounter at the grocery store or whether I'm working, you know, for years with somebody coaching or whether it's a family member or a friend, we're all love at our core. And when somebody is being whatever it might be difficult or, you know, unhappy or afraid, they're calling for our love. And these are the principles that I try and live by. It's what I do in my professional work, but it's really what I try and do day to day. This is my mindfulness practice. How did you become aware of that, Christina? That your healer in love is what heals? Well, it's very gradual and over many years. Um, I think as a child, I was always very tuned in to others. I grew up in a big family, youngest of five. And I always was very curious about what makes people tick and what makes people unique. And we moved a lot when I was a kid. And I remember moving from Australia to Canada. And I met some people at school, like, you know, I was about 12. And I met people and I, I started to see the ways my new friends were similar to my old friends that I had left behind. And sort of one thing led to another, led to another. When I went to college, I wanted to study psychology to become a psychologist. So I sort of knew even at 19 that I wanted to be doing that sort of work. But I actually kind of got sidetracked, which is interesting in and of itself. And I was a researcher for quite a few years. But what it was, was that I didn't meet a lot of psychologists in my psychology program at McGill University. I love the university. I love the school. I met some very wonderful people but very few actual psychologists who practice psychology. Instead, I met a lot of researchers and I fell in love with research and I did research for about 10 years, cognitive science and child development. And then as I was working with children and doing the studies with them to find out about their language or their number or whatever it might be, I had so much a better time with the kids before we started the study than the actual study And I realized, and the parents, talking to the parents, and I realized that I really wanted to go back to that original idea of being directly involved in people's psychology and in their, and in helping people. And so I retrained as a social worker. So that was the professional path. The spiritual path was also very many years of different things. I grew up Catholic. I went to church with my family. And my father and mother just became different religions. My mother became actually a Jehovah's Witness. I used to go to meetings with her and I couldn't quite reconcile the different things that I was learning. And so for a good decade, I was atheist. I just thought, you know what, Christianity isn't for me. Uh, maybe I can find, you know, my spirituality in nature. I can find it in music. And those things nourished me for a while. But gradually I made my way back and um, I write about in my blog, introduction, introduction to myself that I found a yoga class in New York City. By that time, I was 30 already. And this particular class, Yoga Zone, was, which I don't think exists anymore, but be that as it may, it was Yogi Raj Alan Finger that was the founder. And he had learned ancient Hindu practices and traditions as part of the training. 
that he gave his teachers. And then the teachers passed on this information to the students, even as we were practicing here. So we weren't just doing asanas or, med- or um, you know, mountain, uh, what, what is it? Yeah, the last pose at the end where we were relaxing. We were also meditating and yoga was taught as a way to prepare the mind. And the idea that was taught that minds are joined. And the idea was taught that we're little selves, but we are actually a part or, or one with a great self that is everybody. And I fell in love with that idea that minds are joined, that we're all one. And over the years, it's kind of a long answer to your question, but over the years, I found different teachings that resonated. So the original Hindu teachings, Buddhist teachings about non-judgment and suffering and letting go of suffering and letting go of attachment and all these really deep and incredibly powerful ideas. And then in 2011, I was working in an integrative center that still exists, a wonderful place in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Bolidian Center. And one of my colleagues told me about Gary Renard's book, The Disappearance of the Universe, at lunch one day. And she said it very quickly. She's like, oh, I've been reading this book and it's about how we're really all here to do some forgiveness work and become aware of our true nature as love and our connection with one another that we're no different. And when we forgive and we follow that path and we let go of all our grievances and anger and learn that we're really one and experience this, when we all do that, the universe is going to (laughs) disappear. And instead of running away screaming, (laughs) because everything I know is tied to this universe, I said, oh my goodness, Mm. tell me the name of that book again, Mm -hmm, Disappearance of the Universe, you say? (laughs) And I just went Um, right out, whether it was to a store or through Amazon uh or whatever it was, and I got me Uh that book. Mm -hmm. And I read it from cover to cover. And Mm. it's actually a story about Gary Renard's experiences that led him to this teaching called A Course in Miracles that some of your readers may have heard about. You've had John Murphy on your podcast, so I know others may have mentioned it. Um, Eckhart Tolle is another person that mentions it, Marianne Williamson. So I learned about it through Gary Renard's book, and I have my own copy right here where I'm staying right now somewhere. I think it's over there in that bag. Thumbed through, wrinkled, lots of underlining but it has been just a transformative teaching for me and like a lot of really amazing teachings you know some people have this experience with the bible some people have this experience with um, the Tao. you know that you read it and every time you read it there's something new and fresh and it changes your perspective and it gives you insight it provides comfort it reminds you of what's important it's an amazing book and there are a great many such teachings out there This one happens to be one that speaks to me, and I find it incredibly practical. I find it incredibly helpful. And very quickly after my colleague told me about Gary Nard's book, I realized that this is my path. Um, Although, yeah, as I've continued, I realized that I can integrate lots and lots of ideas because there's a lot of common wisdom that's shared, and I hear it even in your podcasts. People say very similar things, Uh, in the big picture. That's very heartening. So true that we say the same things, yeah, in the end. Love is one of those things. It keeps coming back as uh, the ultimate 
goal or purpose for this experience. I'm very intrigued about, I do have two copies of A Course in Miracles in my house. Wow. Yeah, I have two <laughs> copies, one for my Dude. husband and one for myself. But I never really studied. I was called to buy the copies, but not really engage in it yet. So that's kind Ooh. of uh, interesting how it works too. Yeah, I really value how everybody is called in different ways. Some people, similar teachings, but it's all these roads lead to the same experience of love. Right. Yeah, ultimately, I agree. So I'll be asking you more questions about the Course in Miracles. I love the blog posts that you write and some of the powerful messages there, especially the one about uh, that you just mentioned about the universe uh, disappearing because everything's in our minds anyway. I mean, it's a conversation I love to have, <laughs> but I'll be asking you more questions later about that. For now, talk to me for a moment about what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. I usually don't talk about current events, as I mentioned, off record, but there's something about what's happening now that's I'm being asked to have conversations about it, even if it is for one 30 seconds. So talk to me for a moment about that, Christina, your position on that. Well, I'm going to go to the, the bigger metaphysical question, which is, why do people hurt one another? Why do governments try and take over other parts of the world? This is such an ancient dynamic in our human history. It is always so painful. One side is trying to gain something at the cost of the other. And the teaching that I follow, The Course in Miracles, tells us about sort of what our dual nature is. On the one hand, we are love. And in fact, that's the only thing that really exists. But on the other hand, we have a very compelling belief that we're not love. We're not connected to God. We are not good enough. What we have is not enough. We need more. We have to take what we need from other people. People can't be trusted. And we are seeing any conflict like this is playing out at an international level. That same idea of scarcity and taking what one needs because one cannot have it any other way. In The Course in Miracles, it's called the ego thought system. And it's reflected nationally, internationally, in communities, in individual people. There's always another way. There's always another way. But we are, you know, we have to make a choice as people, as individuals, as a group. And in this case, we know what the choice is for Russia and the Ukraine, that uh, one is trying to take from the other or trying to make something happen with the other. And it, there's a lot of, it just causes an enormous uh, degree of trauma. That is so unfortunate and sad, isn't it, at that level of existence where we um, find ourselves in the human body and then kind of making choices in this sense, kind of trying to find that place within the mind that uh, it's forgiving, that is accepting, that is understanding of what's happening. Because it's at a different level, it seems like it's uh, there's no really logic. We cannot rationalize this violence. I can't rationalize violence. Absolutely. Um, well, the... Maybe the number one thing for anybody that's struggling um, in this way, because it is so painful. I mean, the whole pandemic 
you know, this is, it's, I don't think a coincidence that two years into the situation at an international scale, we have a major war in Europe. So for anybody that's struggling, the first step is to be with the pain and to acknowledge that distress. And it, at every, at any level, whether you've chosen a side, whether you're just feeling, you know, just dis, distraught because of the conflict and the lives and the disruption that, you know, people are having to escape. I mean, it's just, it's very, very, very all-encompassing. And often what I find for myself and when I work with people is that as you process, just talk about, share with others the pain or the anger or the fear or whatever it is, the sadness, that then the stillness or the quiet or the alternative possibility, even in how to feel in the moment can come in. And that's the first, just the first step, how painful it is. It is incredibly painful. It is a way of staying peaceful within all that is happening. And I do see that though, within the mind. It's kind of fascinating that the mind can be very chaotic but at the same time, it's the, uh, also the instrument, the tool that we use to become aware of the chaos and also the peace. Yes. That, right? Isn't that interesting when you're using the mind to understand itself? It's beautifully put. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How fascinating. And I have a question for you about God. Because I have not read A Course in Miracles, so I'm not aware of the concept of God there. From your perspective and the work in the Course in Miracles, the message there, who is God? What is the idea of God? So this is really a, um, a very different way of looking at God than, say, um, a Christian tradition or an Islamic tradition or Jewish tradition. In the Course in Miracles, God is a state, God is an experience. Uh, in fact, the, the end of the book is the words God is and we cease to speak. Because the experience of God, there is no contrast with it. There is no other. It's one experience of just pure love, joy, peace. Infinite, never-ending connected as Gary Renard would say but everybody's there with you mm, you know yeah, your yeah. dog's there your <laughs> grandmother's there your, yeah, yeah. You know, your best friend is there so it's a it's something I think one has to grow into I cannot say that I you know know what this experience is in fact in the course community people often jokingly say well clearly I don't know what God is or I wouldn't be here I can't really say what this experience is of God but what I understand it to be is an expansion of moments that probably most of us have and that I have had many times of being really joyful or peaceful or hopeful, you know, feeling gratitude, being loving, feeling loved. You just kind of collapse those in all together and expand and expand and expand that feeling. And that is what I imagine the state of oneness with God is very positive, very all-encompassing, and everyone is there with us. Everyone we've ever loved, would love, could love, is there mm. with us in love. I have heard before, of course, in so many of the conversations I had, that this is the spiritual world 
where we have this reality that's uh, one. So there's no need to love because all there is, is love. In this reality, the human reality, the one on earth, this is the experience of love, which is the opposites, loving the other or other things, although there's no other really. It's you dressed as someone else or something else. But there's the illusion that there are two, and then now we need to exercise that, or kind of bring it to the earth, that spiritual truth of love, and kind of try to express this here. Does it make sense to you somehow? Yeah, I mean, that's a wonderful way to put it. Love is, or God is, is non-dual, just like you were saying. Um, in reality, there is no other. But of course, we experience other in every way imaginable. And the forgiveness journey, what forgiveness means in this tradition is that we let go of all of the grievances. We let go of seeing separate interests. That's another kind of way of thinking about it, that we're here to express and be love. But of course, we experience ourselves with others maybe being more loving or less loving. They're nice to us. They're not nice to us. We're nice to them. We're not nice to them. That's part of the human experience. And it can be transcended. If, if it's of interest, it can be transcended. That's another interesting idea that we are here to experience love. So not to transcend the experience of love. Because now we are going back to the spiritual kind of reality, which is one and it's always peaceful. There's no two. Nothing to be experienced anyway. So what a beautiful dance, isn't it? So in a way, we are here uh, to experience love and and learn. Ah, wow, how fascinating. Learning to be who we are, but at the same time to accept what we are not as well. So it's the what we are and what we are not kind of coming together in harmony. If we can reflect who we are, to the parts that we are not, the, the physical body, for example, then what an amazing experience that would be. And I have seen some of my guests kind of floating, dancing that dance. <laughs> and you too, Christina. Yes, really beautifully put. Absolutely. And yeah, we're joining together, you and I today. And I, I feel just grateful as well for the opportunity to talk together for your invitation to join your podcast. And yeah, it's, a, it, it's actually a contemplative, meditative experience to talk together. <laughs> yeah, right. That's how I feel. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Talk to me for a moment about your work. What do we do to find you if somebody wants to hire you as a coach, a psychotherapist through your website? How do you work with clients these days? Well, I'm at a transition point. Um, I would have said, my therapy website, but I am moving from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm actually moving closer to the Russia-Ukraine conflict because I'm moving to Germany in just a few weeks. I will be putting up a separate website there, um, but for the moment, Living from the Quiet Center is the way to reach me, and I have an email there. I have uh, the intention to put up a contact form. But even just to shoot me an email if somebody wants to be in touch. And then I'll, I'll certainly have a link to the companion coaching website that describes more what mindfulness coaching is. And hopefully will be in multiple languages because I speak Italian and French and I'm trying to get more proficient at German. But I'll be offering um, a kind of life coaching that is 
for those interested more spiritually based in uh, in Germany. Please keep me updated so I have the new website when you have it live, Christina. I will. Well, thank you. Wonderful. And then I would love to hear more about mindfulness and meditation. You write in one of your blog posts, people often have a preference. And for those who find meditation to be uncomfortable or even painful, I suggest focusing on mindful awareness instead. So that caught my attention, this passage. Yeah, so there's many, many, many types of mindfulness, if you will, exercises. Um, and we do exercises because the mind needs training. <laughs> Most of us are not born to be very mindful. We're often distracted, and I mean reasonably so. We worry or we get upset about things. You know, people are, are you know, work or, or other problems are happening. Or listen to the news, and we might, you know, just burst into tears, whatever it is. And of course, we experience what we experience in the moment, including feeling worried or sad or content or, you know, peaceful. But uh, mindfulness exercises strengthen the muscles of the mind so that we can focus and focus on the things that we want to be focusing on. So a mindfulness exercise that I learned from early days before I even found A Course in Miracles is non-judgment. And the practice is very simple to notice judgments as soon as we have them. Right. And they can be anything. It can be, oh, this tea is too hot. Mm, <laughs> you know? <yeah. laughs> or that, the yeah. color of that house is pink. It's too pink. Whatever it might be. It's usually something along the lines of, oh, I don't like that, or who would do this, or something along the lines of that that comes along with it. And to just notice, I, you know, I'm judging this color, or I'm judging this, you know, situation, or I'm judging whatever it is. And that is a very, very basic mindfulness practice that I've done for many, many, many years, and I found super helpful. But it can be different. Some people, for example, might enjoy more a mindfulness of the moment, you know, the power of now type experience of what am I doing? I'm out walking my dog. Am I focusing on, you know, what I have to do tomorrow or how much time I have for the walk? Well, that's one way to have the walk. But another way is to just be present to what's happening. The trees, the sky, the cars going by. The flowers on the side of somebody's garden, that's another kind of mindfulness exercise. We can even do something very simple like washing dishes mindfully or, you know, paying attention to the senses. Is there a, is the temperature hot? Is it cold? Am I comfortable? Am I, what am I smelling at the moment? What am I hearing? So there are many, 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 many mindfulness exercises and different ones make sense for different people at different times. Uh, and in mindfulness coaching, it's about tailoring the, the whole range of possibilities to a particular person, what they're trying to achieve, what would be most helpful, what speaks to them. It's a wonderful practice. I often engage in mindfulness, which to me has become almost a way of living, just being here now and kind of... Ah, just enjoy <laughs> the, what's happening. And sometimes it is, it is a challenge because the mind, it's kind of insists in doing something else, bringing it back to the moment. It's really a, a useful practice. So when I think about non-judgmental, the non-judgmental practice, I wonder if we can, how can we still use the mind to discern without judging? 
because it seems very similar to me. It's like having preferences. But yeah, talk to me for a moment about that, Christina. It's a great question. And it's an important question because we are, in fact, discerning all the time. And, you know, there's a practical need. You know, we need to discern, am I going to say, choose this mechanic or that mechanic? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so making choices and making decisions is a necessary part of life. And we're doing it thousands of times in a day. What judgment is then can be a little bit of discerning it from other kinds of decision-making. Judgment is often a, a feeling of somebody else is less than me, or I'm less than somebody else, or this is immoral is a judgment. Now, of course, we need to make choices. We have a moral code. We have to have a society that functions well. It's not like we just let bad things happen all the time without, because we, we don't want to judge. But when we, the alternative, if you will, is to be coming from, say, a kind, coming from kindness or coming from peace or coming from compassion. And we don't always know. And in fact, we may, it may take a while, even years of practice to figure out just exactly what that is because we're conditioned. Our society is not a particularly kind or non-judging society. Uh, there's very, very many ways in which we're trained to judge even. And so, and this, you know, has to be something that is of interest. I happen to be, for whatever reason, motivated. Not everybody necessarily wants this kind of practice. But in the end, um, we're learning to rely on what some people would think of our is our higher self or God, the voice for God, you know, could be a great master teacher like the Buddha or Jesus. It's kind of like, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? What would Buddha say? What would the Buddha do? You know, how can I approach this kindly? How can I approach the situation so that it's not me winning and the other person losing or the other person losing and me winning. And so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, undoing of patterns and practices that may be instinctive and make a lot of sense for many years and kind of finding a different way of approaching a situation so that we can perhaps discern what the best choice for us is in the moment without having to come from a place of being better than or one down or one up from somebody else. One key idea taught in a course in miracles is how I see you, I also see myself. So that reflective kind of um, way of navigating this reality is a mirror. That's another one that's really a challenge to understand with the mind, with the logical mind, that everything out there, it's also here. It's not just there. Well, first of all, I really appreciate that the care you took to read these posts, and I'm glad that there were some thoughts in there that were helpful. I like to think of myself as some somebody who has just taken other great ideas and trying to offer them in a new way. So if it's helpful, I'm just so delighted. But the idea of um, this is actually a kind of mindfulness practice, how I see you, I see myself. So if all minds are joined, that means that how I see you is how I see myself. How I think about you is how I think about myself, because no thought is going anywhere else. It's all shared. It's one mind. And it's a great mindfulness practice. 
practice then to notice when I want to say that you're wrong or different from me, when I want to say that it this doesn't work for me and uh, we can't do it that way. It has to be this way. And whatever it might be, it, it helps us to remember that our interests are actually shared. They're not different. So, and there's often a way that is win-win. We might not be able to, that's a very wonderful American expression, win-win. It wins no matter how we move through a situation. It's good for everyone. We don't always, as little selves, know what that way is. But we can ask our higher self and get intuition or an answer that could be helpful, you know, if we if we still our minds and if we're quiet. And so um, when we practice remembering that we're one, that I might not say, I don't, you know, agree or like what's happening in a situation, but I don't have to condemn the person because of it. I can see somebody as being perhaps confused or mistaken or aligning with um, a kind of a, a wrong, if you will, or an, a, an unhelpful picture, a belief in scarcity that, you know, that person has to, for example, you know, steal from me or whatever it might be that, yes, it's not nice to be stolen from, but I don't have to condemn the thief. And if you think about Christianity, one of the things that we admire Jesus for is that he didn't condemn people. He didn't condemn people that were sex workers at the time or people that were tax collectors, which was like practically, you know, people thought of them as thieves. He never condemned them because he understood that we're all connected, that love does not condemn. And one of the very often quoted scriptures is that wonderful scripture about love believes all things, hopes all things, you know, love never fails. It's beautiful. And it's about um, recognizing that we're all joined and we're all worthy of love, receiving and giving it. You actually say that clearly. This is from the Course in Miracles. The blog post is titled, The Memory of God Comes to the Quiet Mind. And you say exactly what you've been saying. Perfect love casts out fear. If fear exists, then there is not perfect love. And then you also write, only perfect love exists. If there is fear, it produces a state that does not exist. That's powerful because, because it goes back to the idea, the conversation we had earlier, I think I was trying to have about the illusion of this, of what this is when it's mired in fear, this reality. Then it basically doesn't exist. It's an illusion because everything there is, is love. No separation. For some reason, it's one of the most powerful messages that I can hear. I'm glad. Well, those are incredibly powerful words um, quoted directly from the text of A Course in Miracles. And it is, it's very, uh, I was just thinking as you read them back to me, even though I quoted them myself, it's like axiomatic and logic. There are axioms, you know, it's like you start with this assumption, which is, you know, the Course is saying is reality. If the, if the, if reality is love, then anything that isn't love cannot be real. And you might believe that, you might not believe it, but if you practice, if you live as if, if you make it, if you fake it till you make it, you actually, I mean, this is kind of what is so powerful too, is that 
try this out for yourself, whatever teaching it is, but try out the idea that fear isn't real. Try out the idea that only love is real and see if it garners you a different experience, a less fearful one, a more peaceful one, a more joyful one. Then what comes to mind in this moment is the another idea that I have read or heard about the bodhisattva vows mm -hmm. and that there's no freedom unless we are all free. What an interesting paradox. Even if you and I already understand this, that what is not love is not real, But then how can we actually express and live this love when people around us not experiencing the same? I mean, as we can see now in the world, so many things happening. There's a lot of different ways to think about that. What I would suggest if, if, you're, you know, if you or anyone is struggling, and I mean, we all struggle, I struggle right. too. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. Like, how can right. I be peaceful or content when somebody else is, and clearly anywhere we look, we can find people yeah. struggling. Right, right. And the, what, what I've come to, and this is, a, again, inspired by A Course in Miracles, is that remember that minds are joint. And so I can, if I am practicing peace, people around me are being, are being affected by that. If I'm forgiving somebody and really just in my mind, you know, you are innocent, you are free. Or if then at some level, they're experiencing that too, because there is no separation. They might not say or do anything different, but minds are joined. If during COVID, one of the, during COVID pre-vaccination, it's still happening. People are dying in really painful ways, isolated and alone. And it is very distressing. And we can come again from a place of peace, from a place of love that, yes, their bodies are going through these terrible things. Their families, too. Very painful. Very, very sad. And yet the peace and the love that is our source is ever present and available to us. Maybe not to that person at that moment, at that time, but we can offer that in our minds and hearts to them. It means, I mean, it's incredibly empowering because we can sit in our homes thousands of miles away from bombs going off and we can offer the love and the peace that is in our hearts because our hearts and our minds are joined. We can offer that right now to the people in Ukraine, to the people in Russia, to the soldiers, to the doctors and nurses and people on the ground trying to help the humanitarians. Everyone, the children, the elderly, the women, the men, everyone, we can offer our peace and our love to them in our minds and hearts here, wherever we're sitting, yeah. because minds are joined. Distance does not change that. Have you heard of any time in history, in human history, where we reached this state of being in love with the human experience, <laughs> that we are in harmony, all of us humans? I don't know of a time, and I mean, there may also be other realities and other worlds where that's achievable. If I go to sort of, again, Course in Miracles, there has not been a time because the world that we experience, the universe that we experience is made out of the thought of separation. So certain people can, of course, and do. And I mean, you have many such people even on your podcast. It's really wonderful to hear this message can sort of 
find a way to be in a place of joy and contentment, peace, hopefulness, gratitude, regularly, maybe day in, day out. And that's really possible for anyone. That's another hopeful message. But not everybody is at this slice of time in that experience. But when everybody does have that experience, then all there will be is a non-separated experience, right? So in a way, like, I personally don't look for a peaceful world. Right. I would love it. I would love it. (laughs) Yes, me too. (laughs) But I look for personal peace and helping others achieve personal peace because there are ripple effects out into the world from that. We're almost at the end of the interview and I wanted to thank you for your wonderful presence, the timeless message and everything else in between, your presence in this reality. And we'll end with a question that will be the final one. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Love. First and foremost, to feel love and to be able to experience giving love to another person that or could be an animal. Love, number one. Two is contentment, joy, contentment and joy and or joy. Just moments, hours, days. That's the second. And the third, of course, is peace. Mm, Peacefulness, yeah. calm, serenity. Whatever smidgen of it or mm-hmm. an extended experience of it. Yeah. Those are my top three. Thank you so much, Christina. Again, thank you so much thank for you. who you are. It's been, it's been my great ple- pleasure. Thank you again. We'll talk again. Bye for now. Okay. Take good care. Bye. Bye. You too. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Christina Sorrentino Schmalisch and her work, please visit livingfromthequietcenter.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.